coffee is green when you drop it into the roaster. From there, you're going to go through a series of changes in color, as well as often smells um, throughout the roast. And it's uh, really helpful to learn them because um, you might not have access to data logging equipment. You might only just have, you know, a stopwatch and you need to get this coffee roasted or, you know, your computer might shut down on you or something might go wrong. So you need to know where you are in the roast and how do you do that? Well, it's by looking at the coffee via the trier as well as smelling it via the trier. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and you're listening to Coffee 101, brought to you by Humble Coffee. Coffee 101 is your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about coffee. Season 1 takes us on coffee's journey from sea to shelf. On the show today, I talk with Eric Stone, head roaster at Mudhouse Coffee Roasters out of Charlottesville, Virginia, and we just go off on all kinds of coffee roasting know-how. We do jump around a little bit, I'll admit, but it's just because we're both so excited to talk about roasting. It's my favorite thing to do and discuss, as I'm the head roaster at Humble Coffee, and Eric has always been a great friend on the coffee roasting competition trail, and he's consistently proven an excellent roaster. So, I just wanted to geek out with him for a bit. I'm joined in the studio today by my wonderfully entertaining and thoughtful Coffee 101 co-host, Katie Thomas. Katie, how goes it? Um, good, I think. Yeah? Yeah. Why do you say you think? It's been a long week. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But you're excited because we get to talk about roasting. You're probably not as excited as I am. Yes. <laughs> you would agree with that statement? <laughs> yes. But you know that I like roasting. Yes, I know. And we're in that section of the... The process. The process where it's now time to roast. So we're going to spend this episode and the next episode um, talking about roasting coffee. So I talked to a couple of uh, good friends of mine, and I start with Eric today. So it's good stuff. What do you know about coffee roasting? I mean, I know that depending on... Like the different levels and stuff you put it on, you'll get different kinds of coffee, different tasting coffee. Right. Um, like, like as far as how you, um, when you, we call drop it, as far as uh, what temperature you let it out of the roasting machine. Yes. Yep. Um, I mean, I know it goes in green and comes out brown. Yes. It's like magic. It smells good. Roasters are like magic. Yes. It does smell good. So tell it tell everybody what it smells like when it like, I guess when it goes in, but then also maybe when it comes out. What do you it think? It depends on what it is. Yeah. As far as what origin or what, yeah. what the roast level is. Yeah. Because yeah, that's with, true. I know for your light roast, the breakaway, um, it's it smells very, very fruity when it comes out and warm, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Um, And for your darker ones, it smells more like smoky yeah if that makes any sense maybe chocolate darker right it just smells darker but then yeah. like the lighter ones just smell like warm yeah okay so. okay so like like blue like jazz 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know so, what yes. that means. So the the Ethi- or the breakaway that you're talking about is from Ethiopia, and so yes, as a light roast, um, blueberries is a note that you can get in um, the aroma, and um, then as you get darker you start getting into chocolates and wood flavors and smoky flavors. And that's what people are honestly across the board, a little more familiar with. Um, but go ahead and give you a little tidbit here. And we probably talk about it in the show today. If we don't, we talk about it on the next episode with a darker roast. You have almost all of your origins as far as where they're coming from, kind of merge towards the, the smell and the flavor of the actual roasting process or the roast itself, which is like chocolates and, you know, wood and smoke and stuff like that. The lighter a roast, the more it tastes unique to its origin, including its processing method, elevation, all kinds of stuff like that, the variety of the uh, cafe arabica that's used. Yeah. So I knew you knew that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I was just, like, testing you. Yeah, but for the 101ers, you know, we're like, "Eh, we should Uh, tell them. Y'all are all like me. I'm just in here for emotional support. Because I need it. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) wait, no. (laughs) That came out wrong. That came out wrong. Hey, listen, Freudian slip. It's okay. It's okay. I need emotional support, too. Well, That's why I ate, like, a pound of ice cream today. Actually, like, yeah, we both did. We agreed that coffee, ice cream... And Taco Bell were way better than counseling, right? Yes. Agree to disagree on the Taco Bell. I would sub Chick-fil-A for Taco Bell, personally. All right. Well, I'm going to keep Taco Bell. So let's just go ahead to the interview. This is my interview with Eric Stone as we geek out about roasting coffee. Today I'm here with my good friend, Eric Stone with Mudhouse Coffee Roasters in Charlottesville, Virginia, and soon to be in many locations past that. <laughs> and uh, 101ers out there, I am excited about today because we get to talk about something that is my favorite thing to talk about, which is roasting. And so hopefully, I think between me and Eric, we'll be able to give you way, 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 way more knowledge about how coffee roasting actually affects your cup that you're drinking than you ever wanted to know. We've talked about it before on the show. The roasting itself probably, mm, I'm going to say, makes up about 30% of uh, the impact in your cup. Uh, Farm is probably about 50%. And brewing is about 20, and somewhere in there you have water. Um, so we're just going to chat. We're going to geek out about roasting, and it's going to be awesome. So, Eric, what's up? You know, you know, we're here at Coffee Championships. We both got our final roasting today, so, you know, just yeah. trying to shake off the nerves. You know, we've been talking about our profiles and yeah, yeah, you know, things we, that went right, things that went wrong. Exactly. And uh, so, what Eric is talking about is. Today, specifically, uh, he and I are in Boston at the Specialty Coffee Expo, and we are two of 21 U.S. coffee roasting finalists as far as 
best coffee roasters in the U.S. And I mean, I'll be honest, I really think, I really think that it's about a a one in 21 chance (laughs) for any of us to win. And and I think we're all, I genuinely, I'm not just saying this, I, I think we're all just phenomenal roasters. Agreed. Yeah. Anyone out here, I mean, is worthy of taking home, you know, the top spot. Yep. And the, you know, the fun thing for me, and we've talked about this before, is the coffee industry uh, is is very welcoming. Yes. And like we're competitors, you and I are competitors, but we're sitting here and we're about to geek out about details of, you know, coffee roasting mm-hmm. because that's what we love and that's what we enjoy. And it's, it's fun on that competition level or that, that, that highest tier um, to be able to see like what other people are doing, you know, to impact different things in the roast. So um, let's just talk about roasting for a little bit. So on the most basic level, you have a air fluid bed roaster mm-hmm. and you have a drum roaster. Yep. What do you roast on? So I roast on a drum roaster. Um, I have a sample roaster that is a San Franciscan one pound. That's our small roaster. We do our sample roast on there. I'll do some higher and uh single origins on it for one-off roasts and i will also do profiling roast on the san franciscan uh, profiling being um, essentially developing a roast recipe um, that you then scale up to the larger machine uh, which is our geeson 15 kilogram uh, which is uh, again a drum roaster it has a big cast iron drum that spins around yeah keeps the beans rotating with a burner underneath uh, on the outside of the drum that heats the walls of the roaster. Um, and then it also has airflow moving throughout the drum. So you're roasting with both uh, convection and conduction. Right. So Eric hit on a lot of things there. So uh, <laughs> let me flesh it out a little bit. And, Please. and Eric, you can help me. Um, so when he was talking about the sample roaster, and talking about profiling coffees when we get a coffee in a green coffee in we have to figure out fairly quickly and using the least amount of beans possible um what it actually tastes like and if it's something that we want to move into production and so sample roaster is just a smaller roaster that uh, we can just do just a little bit of the coffee on, but still manipulate the things that that Eric and I like to manipulate in the roast to to give it certain uh, flavors. And this is something that'll probably blow some people's mind. It may not be, it may not blow your mind if you're this far into the podcast 101ers, but you can have the exact same bean and roast it light and roast it dark and anywhere in between and it's going to taste extraordinarily different you know a a dark bean doesn't have to always be uh, a dark dark bean yeah um and i mean in addition to that there are um a bunch of other variables that you can manipulate on a roast as well be it the temperature that you start at the temperature uh that the 
being cracks. Um, we call it first crack. It's kind of like popcorn. Um, the bean will get to a certain point in the roast and then begin popping. Um, and that's when you typically get coffee as you would drink it in a you know your day-to-day cup. Um, and then from there, you have you know how long after that first crack, right. um, your development. So there's you know countless ways that you can manipulate a coffee. Yep. So when we are looking at what we call our roast curve, which our roast curve is the main things we're looking at is we're looking at and like almost like an XY axis with temperature and time. The other thing, the other big thing that we're looking at is the rate of rise or the the change in the temperature um, over time so that we can kind of predict where we want the roast to be and what we need to change uh, in order for that to happen. And so points on what I would call that curve that no matter what coffee it is, we can tell and help us gauge what's going on are what we call the turning point. Because when, all right, let me back up a second and and I'm going to talk about the technical and, and Eric kind of alluded to this a second ago, but the technical what a drum roaster is he said that the gas is below the drum roaster and the drum roaster is usually a double walled roaster almost looks like i would call like a sideways washing machine Mm -hmm. and um and has a little window that we can see into there has what we call baffles in there so that if you open up to what we call drop the coffee to, for it to go into the cooling tray, which we'll talk about in a second, then those those baffles will ultimately push everything out without you having to remove the whole drum, which they used to have to do around the turn of uh, like 1900, basically, um, until somebody created all these baffles, which you know were awesome as far as engineering goes. So you've got the gas, you've got it rising up through the drum, you ha- so that's one thing that we can that that as roasters we can change it probably has i would say and i think eric would agree probably the most impact on the roast itself Mm -hmm. we also have the airflow which he talked about a second ago and we have a third variable usually which is drum speed now when we talk about the different types of heat transfer eric talked about conductive and convective conductive is where say the bean is touching the side of the drum and directly getting a impact as far as like heat transfer convective is think about that that bean in the air and air going across it like uh, like water going across a rock in a stream Mm -hmm. that's convective heat transfer and then we have radiant heat transfer um, which honestly I don't understand that much about, but I know that it, <laughs> it distributes it distributes weight. I mean, not weight. It distributes uh, heat more evenly. And just as a tangent from that, and we'll put a link to um, to Stronghold in the episode notes here. What we roasted on for the competition, which was something that was new to us, mm-hmm. was a Stronghold coffee roaster that had a significant input of radiant heat as halogen mm-hmm. and that is something that we haven't seen that had a significant enough impact in the roast that we we could manipulate it 
but it is in this, and this is new to us. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that was probably the uh, trickiest thing for me. Um, The Stronghold, I think, is a great roaster. It was very different than what I'm used to. Um, But, you know, that was the same thing for everyone at this competition. Um, So, yeah, the halogen lamp, um, in my opinion, um, I found that it particularly affected the coffee. I believe that it had a particular impact on the coffee at the end of the roast. Um, I noticed on my sample roast, which is a small, was a small uh, batch size, that the there was a very big difference um, at the of the uh, internal and external bean development. So yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> so what I mean when I say that is um, there are, you can measure the uh, basically the coloration, the darkness of a roasted coffee. Yeah, um, we call a, it the technically it's Agtron uh, for all you geeks out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Agtron is the pretty much the standard color scale, um, and it you know it assumes it assigns a numerical value to the roast color of the coffee. And when I took my coffee beans whole and put them in that machine that gives it that number, um, it was dramatically different than when I ground up my beans and put them in that same yeah. uh, machine mine was too and so what what eric and i are talking about is all of these different things that as a roaster we can look at and figure out how it impacts ultimately the taste because ultimately we can do all this stuff until we're blue in the face but if we don't know or we don't figure out through experimenting or just being nice and teaching each other you know little little tricks and the science behind it um then it doesn't it doesn't mean anything if it doesn't if ultimately we can't impact the cup itself yeah and for this uh competition in particular we had a very limited window of experimentation that we could do i think we had you know four roasts basically leading into it yeah so you know yeah it was fun it was dicey but it was fun uh, so let's go back to that roast curve. We said X, Y axis. We said rate of rise. Um, things that we look at, we look at the turning point mm-hmm. of the coffee, which is where that curve, we said X and Y are uh, time and temperature, respectively. It's where the thermocouple, fancy word, Lots of syllables. I know I'm from the South. I probably added an extra syllable in there. Like where the thermocouple gets to the same temperature as the beans, because the thermocouple is measuring the bean mass. Like we can't put a thermocouple inside a bean. It would Mm -hmm. be great if we could. We could actually probably learn a lot about roasting um, if we could, but... We can put it in what's called the bean mass, which is as this drum is turning, um, that's the the beans are in a certain area for the majority of the time, and that's where we have this thermocouple. So that's our window as far as what we can see, as far as what in the world is going on in there. So that first point is turning point, which is where I said the thermocouple gets to the same temperature as the bean itself and that's usually at about we'll say a minute and a half uh depends on your roast uh there's these fancy things called nordic roasts, which we can get into here in a second if we want 
um, they go way faster mm-hmm. overall, and air roasters go faster than drum roasters usually do. The second point we think about is what we call color change, and that's where we go from green coffee to where it looks brown or pale brown. Uh, so that's a sp- specific point uh, in the curve. The next thing is what we call first crack, and Eric talked about this a second ago. It's where there is a, uh, we'll say exothermic, mm-hmm. again, fancy word, uh, thing going on with the bean where it can't get everything out quick enough. And so it expands and, and it'll actually, you don't literally see the crack, but uh, but it makes an audible noise. And that first crack sounds like um, popcorn popping. Now, if you were to take a roast all the way to what we call second crack that's going to be your darker beans like more your uh, starbucks and um what people these days think of when they think of coffee somewhere somewhere up closer to there um maybe a little lighter but um that is that that to me is like toothpicks breaking Mm -hmm. i don't know what would you say yeah for what at least in my geeson um i've there are very few coffees that I actually roast past second crack, but it almost sounds like a more rolling, kind of like the uh, embers in a fire as it's died down. Mm, yeah. But for me, it's like a constant, um, more consistent uh, level of cracking yeah. um, and softer for me. Um, when I hit first crack, usually you know, you'll start hearing one pop, two pops, and then you'll get some bigger pops, and they're generally a little bit louder. When I hit second crack... It's more of just a constant rumble um, of just like embers that are crackling. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's another good way to think of it. Um, So when we roast lighter for lighter coffees, we're roasting past first crack, but we're not anywhere close to second crack. Yeah. I I mean, I'm assuming y'all are the same way. You know, we are rarely, if ever, most especially coffee roasters, I would assume are roasting past second crack Um, because that's when you start getting into more of the roast characteristics and you're moving away from characteristics that are inherent to the coffee itself you might think of it as like the terroir uh, that you get in wine it's what the producer was intending uh, when they grew the coffee right whereas when you get into second crack you're imparting more of what you as a roaster can achieve should you roast it that far, which is usually, at best, dark baker's chocolates, um, yeah. and then moving into more burned, smoky notes. At least for me personally. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And so I, I always say that um, the closer to first crack or lighter to a light medium roast, you're going to get the terroir of where the bean came from. That's where you, you get all these different weird, you know, notes. And I think to me personally, it's a lot easier for me to drink those black than it is the darker roast. But as you progress towards second crack and even past second crack, you get more of a roast flavor, which is like you said, uh, those dark chocolates, uh, Baker's chocolate, smoky. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, that's probably the best way to describe it. Let's talk about, uh, and I'll let you start. The We talked about the different points that we're looking at in the curve. 
like like what do those points mean to you and then and then you know do you have names for the like i guess you'd say the the different phases yeah i'll try and uh get these in the right order um but yeah so primarily i'm looking at my charge temperature that's the temperature at which the beans enter the drum right and just as a like random side note when we drop the beans in the drum we call it the charge when we drop from the cooling tray that's what we call dropping the beans so when we say we charge the beans we're talking about them going into and starting the process when we talk about dropping the beans then that's when they're coming out of the cooling tray and we haven't even talked about the cooling tray we'll talk about it (laughs) in a second all right go ahead sorry yeah so again i'm starting with the as far as my points on my roast curve, I'm looking at the charge temperature. So the temperature at which we are beginning the roast, the turning point, like you mentioned earlier, where that rate of rise um, goes from negative to positive. And then from there, you have um, your rate of rise um, and your cur- uh, your roast curve, um, which is basically how fast your coffee is heating up. And then you have your first crack. And then from there, I have my roast development time, which is just the time after first crack to the end of the roast. Then I have my end time, which is end of the roast and end temperature, which is how hot the coffee was when I dropped it into Correct. the cooling tray. Correct. And so when we talk about, Eric said the word development time, when we talk about development time, we're talking about the time after first crack or you know from that point on in the roast and and one thing that i I personally think is that the farther you go into a roast the the more sensitive like just little things that you do or little changes in temperature or time can make on that final cup but i would say that up through like that light to light medium roast but then once you get past that then it's not as important i don't think as far as having a big difference in some of those flavors does that make sense yeah i think it's uh differences in roast profiles are easier to notice in lighter roasted coffees than they are darker roasted coffees is that where you were going with yes but also like okay let's say let's say uh i am behind my profile curve um whatever two minutes in three minutes in i feel like i can i can really hit it hard and give it more gas and get it back on that curve uh and have less impact on how the final bean tastes or the final cup mm-hmm. tastes compared to if if like let's say at uh eight minutes i try to hurry up and get back on that curve then yeah i think those would be two different cups does that make sense yeah for sure and i for me that would come down to a lot of just uh probably the moisture content at the end of the roast. So as you are progressing through your roast, uh, you are going to be losing moisture content. And for me, the bean definitely becomes more delicate, more susceptible yeah, to changes. That's probably a good way to put it. When you are in those final stages and the bean is more fragile. So once you're past first crack, if you apply too much energy, too much heat, uh, you run the risk of um, making some rooster errors, um, which I don't know if you want to get into those, but yeah. things like uh, scorching, tipping. So scorching is actually 
burning the outside of the bean, you'll get these black round spots where it like hit the drum and just burnt up. Yeah, and just as a as an aside right there, that's really when the drum is too hot. Um, and like we would see it on, there's this fancy word called the trier. Um, and I know we're one of oneers. We're giving you all these new terms, but you're geeks if you've gotten this far. So you're just going to have to get over it. Um, but the trier is this thing where we can actually we can pull it out of where the the beans are, and we can look at the beans. We can smell the beans. If there is scorching, then you'll see those little spots on the bean. But only before you get to, um, we'll say first crack, but once you get there and further, if you didn't know that scorching happened, you will not necessarily see it once the beans are dropped. Mm-hmm. And then talk about uh, tipping. So then there's tipping where you've just applied too much heat and you've basically forced out, my understanding is that you've forced out steam and oils into these really small um pockets in the bean and they kind of explode out um, typically out of either end of the bean so along that chaff line on either side of it you'll get these little um, they look like little uh, dimples that have exploded yep. um, on either side and these are both uh, pretty basic uh, faults that you can make as a roaster right and what what Eric is saying is with tipping it's applying the heat too fast and you'll see like like he said like a little black dot uh, on one of the ends, and it's actually the end where if the coffee seed, which remember, this is a seed, uh, it's the end where the little sprout, like the little embryo, would have come out um, of the bean if it, if it were going to turn into a plant. Hey, Kenneth Thomas here. If you're like me, you're wide slap open all the time. You have lofty goals and high expectations of yourself at all times and in all situations. Don't you want your coffee to be made with the same high standards? Look no further than Humble Coffee. We only source the tastiest coffees from around the world and use our top-ranked U.S. specialty coffee roasting skills to get every morsel of goodness out of each bean. Go to HumbleCoffee.com or click on the link in the show notes to try out a bag. Unsure of which is right for you? Try our sampler. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Eric. Okay, so we talked about scorching and tipping. Um, We've talked about development time. Yeah, did you, um, so you had asked earlier about like actual stages of the roast. Yeah, so I was thinking like, you know, uh, I was basically thinking about up to like color change, mm-hmm. and then Maillard. Maillard, do you want to explain what, what that is? Or Yeah, so I'll go through it the way that I learned it first back when um, I was learning to roast um, and just go through the whole yeah. color change process. So you have your green beans that you put them in. Uh, when you, The coffee is green when you drop it into the roaster. From there, you're going to go through a series of changes in color as well as uh, often smells um, throughout the right. roast. And it's uh, really helpful to learn them because, um, you know, sometimes you might lose, you might not have access to um, data logging equipment. Um, you might only just have, you know, a stopwatch and you need to get this coffee roasted or, you know, your computer might shut down on you or something might go wrong. So you yeah. need to know where you are in the roast and how do you do that? Well, it's by looking at the coffee, 
via the trier as well as smelling it via the trier. Um, and I apologize if I get some of these out of order. Um, I'm going to do my best to no. make sure we're going through the roast. Um, I'll just properly. persecute you here and uh, <laughs> we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Deal. Um, so coffee is green when it enters the drum. Um, and then at turning point, it's still fairly green. From there, we're going to go from a green color um, to more of a pale green color. I would say around, um, and this is going to vary, but I'm just going to give you the numbers that I use in my sample roasting machine. Um, 270, 275 degrees is when I, uh, first start pulling it out. And that's when you're going to start getting that, um, first color change. And it's just going to be getting more of a, and that's in Fahrenheit in Fahrenheit. Correct. Um, paler shade of green. Um, I've heard it described as wet grass, the smell, you pull it out, it's pale green. You smell it. Does it smell like wet grass from there? It's going to progress the roast you're going to start getting more yellow um, you're going to pull it out it's going to look at about 300 degrees or so you're going to get to what i would describe as hay it's going to be a nice pale yellow almost a shade of hay you're going to smell it it's going to smell like hay from hay we're going to get up to um, as you're approaching first crack maybe i don't know 20 or so degrees off of it depending on your roaster you're going to get up to baking bread. You'll pull it out. It's going to be... Um, it's like a sweet bread. Yep. Yeah, like a sweet bread. It's going to be more brownish in coloration. And then you're going to pull it out and you're going to smell it. And it's going to smell like baking bread. And then from there, as you get up to first crack, or uh, approaching first crack, some people call it the A point. I've heard it described as like sugar cookies. You'll pull it out. It's going to be... Um, the bean itself is going to be more marbled. So you're going to see some... Uh, wrinkles and stuff on the bean as it's getting ready to pop for lack of a better word Um, and it's going to often be giving off some steam and that's how you know you're at the um, right before first crack and then from there it'll start popping and again this depends on your roaster um, as you know Um, but on my sample roaster that's usually around 350 360 degrees fahrenheit and just to give you uh, an example of how that differs on the stronghold, I don't know where yours was at, but my first crack was at 315 degrees Fahrenheit. Or yeah, mine was, yeah, mine was at a different, it was at like 338. Um, and so a couple of points that I was thinking about. One big thing for me, if I don't have anything else to go by and you've already started a roast and something messes up and you've got to go manual, uh, and like let's say I can't even hear it, um, like I really smell like a vinegary type of smell once first crack starts, um, which is very different than uh, that sweetbread smell that that malty kind of smell that you had uh, before you hit first crack. Um, the other thing is for anybody out there who aspires to roast, forget the temperatures that we're saying <laughs> yeah. because. For example, uh, he's talking about three something. My roaster that I roast on, it most of most of first cracks for a lot of our coffees are around like the four hundred mark. Wow! Yeah. Um, but it's just it's, it's just the calibration. Mm-hmm. It's simply just the calibration of the thermocouple, and neither of them are correct or incorrect, and so. That's why you have to use your senses as far as especially your smell, uh, your sight, your hearing. But I would say that, you know, once you hear that first crack, um, you 
can then take the absolute temperature change from there to when you drop a bean and that that can be something that's more repeatable um you know i would say roast to roast and machine to machine but but you and i just uh the last few days have been roasting on a machine and 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 in my specific example that was not the case you know what i thought was going to be a light roast by looking at absolute temperature Mm. um it was it was pretty dark initially when I sample roasted, and so, so there's always room to learn. Um, one thing, another thing I want to talk about, or just say, or make sure we say, is the Maillard reaction, mm. and that is like a sugar browning reaction. So, bread, uh, anything that turns brown uh, when you're cooking it, roasting it, that's the Maillard reaction, and so. As we develop that during our roast, uh, what we're trying to do as roasters, again, depending on what taste profile you're looking for, but for me, for example, is I'm trying to stretch some of that time out so that I have more time in that Maillard reaction uh, to give me more sweetness, um, maybe give me a little more body, maybe give me a little more complexity in the cup, and we'll have another episode that is on when i'm using these words like body and complexity and sweetness and we talk about the technical aspects of the cup of coffee um but that's just one of those things that i look at yeah yeah um don't remember who i stole this from but a lot of people i don't think it's correct to only think of coffee developing as just everything after roast development you know basically once you drop that coffee into the roaster you that's when you start development and you're going to be moving through um, various stages of development um, large majority of which are going to be married reactions like throughout the entire uh, roast um, I just uh, for me personally I, I don't like it I don't personally get bogged down too much in like specific areas of right. coloration I know that that's been a big push um, in a lot of coffee methodology or roasting methodology um but well and but you know what i would say though honestly is that if if it's still kind of in limbo as far as like we think this we think this um we think that if you do fill in the blank that it'll add this to the cup and stuff like that if we're this far into specialty coffee and roasting these thousands upon thousands of roasters who are pretty good out there in the world uh, doing these roasts and we're still saying maybe this does this and <laughs> yeah. maybe this does this, then there's definitely still a art aspect or a unknown aspect uh, out there. Now, 50 years from now, maybe we'll have all the answers. I don't think we will mm-hmm. because I think you also have to look at the farm We didn't even talk about density. Uh, We talked a little bit about um, the water content, um, you know, of the bean and how that affects things. Um, But this this is all stuff that as roasters we're looking at or hopefully looking at uh, to lend to a better cup. Mm -hmm. One thing I want to talk about, totally independent of that, but I wanted to make sure we covered is... When we're done with the roast and we, quote, drop the roast, that goes into a cooling tray. 
cooling tray has this little thing in there that kind of spins around and agitates the beans and you have a um uh pump is pump is that the right fan. word fan yeah fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah fan you have a fan that basically sucks ambient air the air that's around you down through those beans to immediately stop that roasting process because as roasters we can tell a difference and there is a significant difference in especially at lighter roasts uh if something stops at i'm just going to pick two arbitrary numbers uh 404 and 407 mm-hmm. like it 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 makes a big difference in the the final taste itself and so it's really important for us to stop all of that roasting exactly at the temperature that we want to yeah it's uh just like pasta or anything else if you even though you've removed it from the water, you know, those noodles or whatever you have, it are still going to keep cooking. So you want to ideally, uh, I guess not the case for pasta, but you know, for coffee, you want to cool that down as fast as you can. Um, so I've heard of roasters that, you know, basically turbocharge their fans so they can suck more air over the top of it just to cool those beans off as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, so when the beans are in the cooling tray, and like I said, 101ers out there, we will, as we progress chronologically through the path of the coffee bean, we'll talk more about cupping and stuff like that. But at this point, some roasters will eat one of the roasted beans. Yeah, I've uh, done that before. Um, I actually did it a lot this weekend just because we <laughs> didn't have that That's... much access to how the coffee was going to turn out. And, you know, you can, yeah, personally, I can tell, I mean, you can tell somewhat. Um, I got, I was, I was able to get a sense of the density, how light or dark roasted the coffee was from you know chewing on it. You know, you aren't you're not going to get like a full flavor profile, but for me, but if you consistently do it, that gives you one more uh, point of input. Yes, you know, and so um, so yes, I have done that too. I have I have eaten the roasted beans right out of the cooling tray. Another trick that I really like is I will break mm-hmm. break the bean and smell it mm. and it it's that is the that to me is the earliest I can look at the window of what is it going to taste and smell like three days from now because mm. it is to me it is pretty accurate as far as how it will taste in the future once it's kind of chilled out a little bit after the roast um yeah, yeah. interesting uh, yeah i'll have to try it out the smell i'll usually crack it open just to check for internal development yeah make sure it's not you know super light on the inside or you know if i can even you know am able to crack it in half that will you know lend some insight into how dense the bean is which can yeah. lend some insight into smell it how smell developed it, next time. it is okay yeah, yeah i'll give it and a try see, and see, and see what, what you think um, I roasted uh, one time in a in a roasters guild uh, retreat, which is you know it's just a thing for coffee roasters to geek out with each other uh, with the head roaster from Ritual out of mm-hmm. San Francisco, and uh, she always ate the beans when mm-hmm. they came out. I mean that was just one of her uh, like feedback points. Um, so yeah, just make sure you have some water on hand. You know, sometimes yes. those dry beans get yeah, caught it, in your throat. And... Yeah, it really is like, it, I mean, 
sometimes depending on what kind of roast it is it's it's kind of like eating charcoal yeah yeah, it'll be pretty dry (laughs) yeah yeah even the lighter roasts are dry all right eric so what else can you think about that we haven't hit for this mastery (laughs) of roasting for all of those coffee lovers out there did you want to go into why we would change a certain point in the roast yeah yeah we could do that Cool. Then, yeah, I guess we can move this around if need be. But um, so I don't know what your thoughts are, but we've talked a little bit. Or we've mentioned moisture intensity yeah. of the coffee. So, so tell us about that. Um, so a coffee, when you get it um, green, it's been, this is after all the processing that goes on the farm, um, will either be sent to you with a moisture content listed or you know most roasters will have a moisture analyzing tool in their lab Um, and ideally that moisture content when you get uh, a coffee is going to be somewhere around 10 to 12 percent right and one thing that does is that helps prevent mold yes mold um, on the high end Um, I've also heard that it is strongly correlated to water activity which can give you, if it is above that 12%, there's a good chance that, again, not 100% of the time, but there's a good chance that the shelf life of that green bean might not be as long as something that is more within that 10 to 12% range. And then on the other side of that, um, so, you know, below 10%, that's when you're just starting to get into um, coffees that have either maybe aged out or are just too dry. So tell me about how density impacts things. Yeah, so we just talked about moisture content. You'll also have density. Density in coffee is usually measured, um, we call it the free-settled density uh, method, which is where you take a known volume, uh, a container with a known volume, you fill up your that container with your green beans, you level it off as best you can, and then you weigh that, um, the amount of green beans that you could fit into that container, divide that weight by the volume, and you have your grams per liter uh, or yeah, whatever, liter or whatever yeah. the unit of measure is. And that is your density of coffee. Um, there are other ways of getting density that are perhaps more accurate, but this is what coffee standard is yeah i was gonna say this is the one that most you're right there are more accurate ways but this is the way that most people use and so if it's the way that most people use then again it gives us some kind of standard to how we compare things yes um and for me um density is often the starting point if not um has often the greatest impact unless there's some other wild variable of the coffee like a very weird shape to the bean or a very specific varietal of coffee. Um, But density will often impact how I choose to roast a coffee um, the most. So usually the theory is that very dense coffees are going to require a lot more energy, heat um, throughout the roast to be able to uh, basically penetrate those very dense cell structures in those coffees. So typically when I am thinking um, high-density coffee, I'm thinking higher charge temperatures, so higher temperatures at the beginning of the roast, Mm -hmm. earlier first crack times, because I am pushing a lot more heat at that coffee. So 
you know, instead of a, say, I don't know, very late first crack time of 10 minutes, we're going to have a first crack time at closer to, you know, anywhere from six to seven minutes, which, you know, you might be getting to that Nordic talk yeah. of the Nordic roast curve, um, as some people refer to it. And then, um, yeah, so density for me, just more energy. The opposite would be um, what I would do for uh, low density coffees. So I would start at lower charge temps, longer, drawn out, more gentle roast curves with later um, first crack times, and then just being easier on them um, throughout the roast development. Right. And the way that I think about density and how much heat I have to put towards it is. We'll say we'll take two dramatic uh, examples, like the same volume or size of a piece of crumpled up paper and that same as a block of wood. So you've got to give way more heat to that block of wood to burn it in the same time that you burn that piece of paper. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the way I think about it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's really all that I can think of. I know there's probably other stuff that. (laughs) Yeah, there's a. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that we could get into and nerd out on, but yeah, you know. Well, that... listen, it was a pleasure to have you, and if anybody's ever in Charlottesville, Virginia, they can uh, at least come and taste some of your coffee and and get it online uh, yeah, through do. through Mud House. Uh, we will put a link in the show notes, and that's really it. Any parting words? Any any other sage advice? um stage advice i don't know but uh yeah thank you so much for having me this has been fun yeah uh hope to do it again yep it was a pleasure that was a really cool interview but i have a question okay shoot is eric stone related to emma stone at all (laughs) good question and uh no he is not that would get you some people well i think if people knew if they were related and people knew that she was related to Eric Stone. Yes. Then that would be cool for her. Yes. But no, she's not. And they aren't. And uh, so, yeah. So we just talked about roasting coffee and we kind of, like I said in the in the intro, we were all over the place with it. Yeah. But hopefully y'all just breathed in and soaked up and and got some of that you know, roasting coffee knowledge and and saw how that can be a good, fun part of making your cup taste better. Yes. Yes. Maybe you mentally smelled some of the coffee that was roasting. Maybe. In your imagination. All right. Well, we enjoyed having you listen today, 101ers out there. I'm Kenneth Thomas, and I'm in the studio with Katie. Very tired, Katie. A very tired Katie who needs some coffee. Thanks for listening. Follow us on your podcast app of choice. Leave us a review on one of those apps or on all of them if you're just coffee insane like we are. Let us know any questions you have either through those reviews or you can DM us on Instagram, followumblecoffee.com. Want to know more about Umble Coffee or Mudhouse? or their stories, check the links in the show notes. Are you a business looking for coffee? Click on the website link in the show notes or go to umblecoffee.com and fill out the wholesale contact form. We would love to just chat with you about coffee. In the least, use Coffee 101 as a free resource to educate yourself 
and all of the curiously aspiring coffee connoisseurs that are your friends out there. From Coffee 101, I'm Kenneth Thomas, and this is Katie Thomas, and we will see y'all in the next next episode. Next time on the next episode. Love y'all. Bye.